This is Living Forever, Not an Option, a podcast brought to you by Care Dimensions, a provider of hospice, palliative care, and support services in Massachusetts. Your hosts are Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Living Forever, Not an Option uh, with your hosts, Lynn and Mary. Now, as you see or hear, Lynn isn't with us today. Uh, She is unable to make it today, but she'll be back for other shows. But I have great news that we have a special guest with us today, which I'm thrilled about. uh, And it's Ellen DePaula, and she's the president and CEO of Honoring Choices Massachusetts. Ellen, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Mary. It's great to be with you. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here, Ellen. I got to tell you, um, you know, you and I have talked about this topic so many times, and this is such an important topic. We're going to talk about advanced care planning today, advanced directives, and, um, and we're even going to talk about most and other things. So this is such an important topic, and it's especially important right now because, you know, here we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're, we're coming off of, this is an important topic to start with, right, Ellen? But it's, uh, you know, here we are, um, you know, just getting through April, uh, which is uh, National Healthcare Decision Day and Month, which we put extra emphasis on it, but now we're in the middle of a pandemic, and this, this topic needs even more attention than ever. That's exactly right, Mary. I think one of the things we've seen um, from talking to families and individuals and also our doctors and care providers that it's never been more important than it is in this moment to really be able to say, I'd like to appoint somebody to, to speak for me if I can't speak for myself. And it, it could only be just for a little while until you feel better and recover. Yeah. And I think there's just full agreement across the board. Uh, our doctors are always asking for that guidance. If I can't speak to my patient um, who I've been, you know, working with for even years, or maybe it's a new doctor, who can I speak to? Who would they want me to talk to about care? And as a first level, that that is just seems to be so important in the moment right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for some people that are tuning in, they might not even understand what an advanced directive is. So let's start. Can you give a definition, if you will? Sure. It's actually confusing, the, yeah. the, the term advanced directive, because it's used in many different ways. Mm-hmm. So the easiest way to think about it is um, you take the word directive first. Well, that's your, your statement. That's your personal statement about what you want. And then you do that in advance. That's what an advanced directive is. So it's any statement about your health care that you want to think about in advance, like who should I choose to be my health care agent would be an example of that. And then to write it down in a document, in a Massachusetts planning document that's seen as a valid document that holds your decision and your advanced directive and your personal statement about what you want for care. Yeah, you know, and and this is it's that's well said, Ellen. It's um, I think you know it's 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 really so important that people have these, and I know that people think sometimes that this is this is for people who are old or or people who are sick, uh, and and really you know go into that a little bit because this is for everybody. This is for everybody, and that's really absolutely true. And it's for everybody who's an adult, which means you ideally should start this at eighteen years old. And I can give you an example if it helps. You know, I have these two active sons who are now in you know, their late 20s. And when they were in college, 
right, and over 18, they were 19 years old, they play this, this game called rugby, which is not a particular, yeah. uh, you know, gentle game. And, and on a rugby field, they pass around a ball and they smash heads together a lot. So my oldest son, Dan, did exactly that. He happened to be in another state, um, and he is now 19 years old, and he was, had to be hospitalized because he became unconscious because um, he hit his head with another, just another kid. And as a parent, you know, his friend calls me on the phone and says, Dan's in the hospital, and, and I, so I call the hospital, and they say, we can't talk to you wow. because you're not your son's healthcare agent. Um, you, he didn't sign a paper that gives you the right to make decisions for him. And that's how a lot of us find out about that this idea that everybody 18 years old has a right to say what they want for care. Nobody, including a parent or a grandparent, can just come in and say, right. here's what I want you to do. So that's why the law in Massachusetts, is, it's so helpful. It actually says, starting at 18 years old, when you're well, you know, when things are going well, pick somebody, choose a healthcare agent as someone to speak for you. Yeah, now, ideally, absolutely. you have that person for many, many years who can, you can feel really comfortable knowing somebody's there for you if you get sick and until you recover. And that's why we like to say to everybody who's 18 and above, please do this healthcare proxy because it serves you well. It gets you the best care right through your lifetime. Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned, so in Massachusetts, and they are state to state, so we got to be careful because sometimes people think this is, you know, kind of this document that covers all state. This is, we're talking about a Massachusetts healthcare proxy now, That's right? That's correct. And, yeah. Yeah, and they're called different things in different states. So people need to be certain that when they're completing this document, which is an invaluable document, this is a Massachusetts healthcare proxy for people that are in this state. Right. That's, and, and that's, Completely correct. And you know, the beauty of this, even though that it's a legal document, you do not have to go to a lawyer to do this. You can actually do it yourself. And it, it's very simple to do. Um, and we can, we can talk about that a little later. But that's the other great thing about most people don't know. They think, oh, if I'm going to sign a document, I need a lawyer. You don't. Not for this document. And I also, and people often say that to me, oh, now I can't do that. I don't have, you know, I, I can't afford it. It costs nothing. So one of those excuses, it doesn't hold up, does it, of why right. not to do this. I also want to say, um, our, fortunately, our podcast is not just seen around the country, but it is actually, or heard around the country, it's heard around the world. We have people yeah. from other countries. So what people need to do is find out where they are. What is that document called? And, and, and how do they get a hold of that in order to complete one? Exactly right. Yeah. And in the United States, like if you spend some of your time in Massachusetts and some of your time in Florida, wherever you reside, everybody, as you say, has a different uh, uh, legal document. But typically, they don't need, you don't need lawyers to do them. Absolutely. But usually you can find them right online. And people, like you said earlier, need to understand just because somebody is your spouse or they're your child or a parent, they have no legal right to make decisions if you are 18 and over. So you need to have this document in place to appoint who you want to be your voice. 
right? I think this is a, the wording on this is very important, isn't it? It's not to make decisions for you. It's really to be your voice when you can't speak for yourself. And I'm an, I'm a stickler about words, Ellen. And I really <laughs> want that people to understand this because it is so important that you pick a person who's really going to speak for you in the in what you want. That's a great point, Mary, and I like the way you put it. So first, I just want to say that in Massachusetts, what you were saying about we don't automatically give that right to a spouse or a family member to make decisions for us. That's true in Massachusetts. In many other states, they have a law that you can do that, that automatically it will default, the, the, the voice will default to someone in your family. But in this state, we have to appoint. That means you have to choose somebody and you have to write that person's name down in that legal document called the healthcare proxy. And your second point, I think, is really important. Um, how do you choose somebody to do this? Who do you really want? Yeah. And it's good for people to just take a minute. And if it's possible for you to choose, now not everybody has someone they can choose. And, and that's okay. We'll talk about that too and what you do about that. But if you can look around and if you can say, who is it that I can sit down and talk to about me? What are my values? What, what, what makes my life really quality and worth living? Let me talk to someone about that and say, here's what I'd love for you to do if I get sick, even for a little while until I recover. Here's what's important to me. Here's the care that I want. And you know what? Here's the care I don't want. That's your right to do and to say. So the idea is if you can think about that first and then think, who's the person who best can represent me? You know, this isn't about the agent that we call that person a healthcare agent. And it's never about, as you say, Mary, um, what the agent wants. It's not. It's what you want. Absolutely. And who can best represent that and be your voice? That's the person you want to choose. Now, that may not be your spouse or someone in your family. It could be someone at your church or synagogue or at your, at your senior group or, you know, any club. You may just have a closer relationship that I get a kick out of the fact that there are many women who say, my husband is not going to be my health care boss. <laughs> yes, yes. And it's, yeah. be, and it's because, quite frankly, they love them so much, they, they wouldn't know how to be their voice. They wouldn't know how to take that role. And so it's okay to choose right. outside. Absolutely. You know, and I, I, I speak of this friend that I have who's a nurse for many years, over 30 years, and she did, uh, she's very clear. She had done some emergency work and uh, all kinds of stuff, and she knows exactly what she wants, what she doesn't want. She appointed her husband as the healthcare agent and then said, the, I don't, you know, she knew she didn't want, um, you know, any invasive measures done, that sort of thing. And she was very clear with him. And he said, oh, I can't do that. I'm doing everything. Well, he's not the guy for the job, right? And it's not a punitive thing. It's actually a loving thing to have that conversation and for, to understand for that person, do they feel capable of, of honoring your wishes and to fulfill that role? And if they're not, I think it's a kind gesture not to put people in that, in that situation. Right. Yeah, absolutely true. And you know what else helps if we talk? We sometimes we just talk. Um, I can tell you, my husband and I met when we were 16 years old in the schoolyard. Okay. Oh, and wow. I knew him a very long time. But when we sat down to say, would you like to be my healthcare agent? And then let me tell you about what I want for care. Do you know that he wanted the exact opposite of what I wanted? And wow. I had no idea until yeah. we sat down and talked about it. 
And then when I said, okay, here's what I want, here's what's important to me, I said, can you do that for me? And he had to think about it for a minute because it, it wasn't what he would have chosen. And he said, yeah, I can do that for you. Wow. So having that conversation with someone, um, really, you can learn a lot. You know, even if you've been married for umpteen too many years, <laughs> for many years, you know, it's good to sit, don't take it for granted. And you know what we find is that what my husband said to me is how, how grateful he was that we sat down and talked about this, that it took this big load off his shoulders. Now he knows what I want. Um, we're not asking him to make decisions. We're just saying, carry out what, what I want, what else. Absolutely. Yeah. It's and there's a difference there, isn't there? It, making life or death decisions for someone you love, it's, it's what a heavy task. But if you're having this discussion, you're not making those life to death. You're actually following through on somebody's wishes. And what, a, what a, an honor and a loving gesture that is. Now, I'm not saying there's not some heavy weight to that as well. This is, these are mm -hmm. tough times when people are in these situations, but it's certainly different. It is. That's really well said. Yeah, so starting there. Pretty simple. I mean, we would start by saying, go to the Care Dimensions website or the Honoring Choices website. The free healthcare proxy is right there. Um, we have it in many languages as well. We find that's very important that people can do this in the language they're comfortable with. Um, and you can download it and print it. And then it's just, uh, the Honoring Choices document is two pages. The first page is instructions. Very simple, and the second page is the healthcare proxy. So it's a one-page healthcare proxy. And again, if you can sit down and talk to an agent and the agent says, yes, I'll do this with you, then you can simply write down your information, the healthcare proxy's information, you sign it, but here's the trick. The trick is it has to be signed in front of two witnesses. Now a witness can be anybody who's over 18. All that witness is doing is watching you sign the healthcare proxy, and then they sign right after you. That's right. right. And then you have a valid healthcare proxy. Yep. And they're not witnessing they agree with who you chose. They're just witnessing that you understand what you're signing. So okay. this is this is very important, right? And and yeah. it's so important too because you know I, I being in healthcare for over 35 years, what I had noticed on many occasions over these years is that people would fill out the form, uh, they might have forgotten to sign it, or they might have forgotten to date it, and then the then the form is null and void. And I had a family years ago patient was admitted, uh, she had a really advanced Alzheimer's disease, was not capable, and I asked them for a copy of the healthcare proxy, they, they gave that to me, and it was not dated. And I said, oh, this is null and void, it's not dated, and they said, oh, that was done uh, several years ago, just throw a date in. And I said, oh gosh, I can't do that. This is a legal document. I don't know that this wasn't just filled out in the hall. I can't do that. And then they actually had to pursue guardianship. Oh dear. So, yeah, so I, I, I didn't make friends that day, Ellen, but I, what I will say is that I advocated appropriately for the, for the individual, the patient. Yeah. But it's, it's hard like that, and people don't realize what it entails when you don't have these documents in place. That's right. And that's why, and again, in Massachusetts, our laws are very specific about this. If you have to, you, you need to choose a person, a healthcare agent, while you are able to do that, you have the capacity or the ability to make that change, because you're really passing your power to make decisions onto someone else. 
we don't take that lightly in this state. We don't just pass it on to anybody. So doing that proxy is very important. Now, I was talking to a, a couple who'd been married for 45, 50 years or something the other day, and they were, you know, uh, in trouble because although they had talked about doing a healthcare proxy, the husband, the gentleman, um, had not appointed his wife as his healthcare agent. And now he had had a stroke and was not able anymore to make mm -hmm. decisions, safe health mm -hmm. decisions for himself. So in the middle of this health crisis, when everybody is so worried, the, the, the wife had to go seek guardianship, and that's a court proceeding. Right. And although that the, the court tries very hard to make this really easy for you, it's, it's not something you want to do when you're dealing with someone's health care. Exactly. So that's why we urge everybody to, to really, if for no other reason, to avoid that step, to appoint an agent. Now, I do want to say, Mary, that I know that some people may be listening to this and saying, you know, I'd love to do that. I just don't have anyone to choose. Yeah. And that's true, quite frankly, for quite a few people. We think about almost a third of the people in, in Massachusetts, as we've been talking to folks about this document, are in that position. So what do you do? Um, Remember that first, you still have the right to make your own decisions, whether you appoint an agent or not. Doesn't matter in that way. You still hold that right. So you want to make sure you talk to then your physicians and your doctors or whoever cares for you, um, and whoever clinician that cares for you and say, I want to tell you something about me, my values, my beliefs, and I want to tell you what I want for care. And let's write that down. Now, there are two places we would love for you to write that down. One is if you're talking to the doctor, make sure it's in the medical record. Make sure he writes it down there or she writes it down. But even better, we have a document called a personal directive. Again, directive meaning this is my statement and this is my personal statement. And what's in this, pers this personal directive, which is on our website and you can download for free, it's just a little, it's like a letter to mm -hmm. you would write to your doctor, your family, to anybody, your friends and say, here's, if I get sick and I can't speak for myself, here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what I want for care. It's also a personal directive. This isn't a legal document. So this is yours. You can change it as often as you want. You can change your mind, but it gives at least people around you the knowledge saying, well, you know, I can't speak to her anymore because she's so sick, but here's what she wanted in her own handwriting, in his own handwriting. Here's what I want for care. Yeah. So we would, we, especially if you don't have an agent, and even if you do, this is a great document to say, here's what I want for care. Yeah, so this yeah it's an excellent document. It's mm -hmm. definitely, you know, people, it, it's so important. And you see, I think people worry about um, doing a, um, uh, you know, and, and even though you said it's not a legal document, it, it's, an, it's an important directive and healthcare professionals look at that as for guidance. Uh, the other piece is, I think people worry sometimes about filling out an, a healthcare proxy because they feel like they're losing control. And, and what I always say to people is you are far from losing control. You're actually taking control back in terms of making sure that who you want being your voice and also again hopefully having those conversations like you're saying and I think it's so important to put into writing uh, that those things are honored so but with the healthcare proxy I just want us to talk a little bit about it doesn't go into effect the moment you sign it 
Right. right? It has to be activated. Uh, uh, the, the healthcare professional as a physician has to determine that you lack capacity. Uh, and therefore, a, a, a narrative and an order is put in place that then the healthcare proxy has been activated. So I think it's important that people realize that. And you had said earlier, that can be just temporarily and it can be deactivated. Let's say you go in for a minor procedure and, and you lack capacity for a short time, but then regain it, it can be deactivated too. That's right. That's exactly right. It's important to know. And again, I, I, what we do at Honoring Choices is to say to everybody has the right to make decisions. So as long as you're capable of doing that, you have the ability to do it, it's yours to do. So that's what, what, what Mary is saying so well here is that the healthcare agent only steps up, this is the way we sometimes talk about it, when you don't have that ability. So say you go into surgery for a few hours. Well, your doctors can't really communicate with you. And if they need to make a decision, say in surgery, they'll come out and talk to your healthcare agent. And then when you come out of surgery and you, know, you start to gain your capacity back, that agent steps right back has no more power to make decisions, it's back in your hands. Yeah. And that's how the proxy works. It's a really powerful document that protects you. It protects your right to care, to get and the these, care. Oh, excuse me, Ellen. Yeah, and these documents on, um, for, in terms of the personal directives that you're referring to too on honoring choices, which I love, are the getting started toolkit and the next step toolkit. So right. I, I just think, Again, wonderful resource people can access by going on to your website, certainly, and, and through Care Dimensions as well. Care Dimensions, yeah. And so we try to make it simple. Um, in general, there are five documents in Massachusetts. We have five care planning documents where you can write down your choices for care. You don't need to use all five, but we've taken the five and we split it into two toolkits to make it easy. Because this it's not easy. We didn't make it easy in Massachusetts. <laughs> So the Getting Started Toolkit contains the healthcare proxy we talked about, where you appoint your healthcare agent, and it also contains a free personal directive. So after, so let's say you can pick an agent. All that healthcare proxy does is it names who the person is, but it doesn't tell that person what you want for care. That's why we want you to use the personal directive to write down what you want for care right in that document. So your healthcare proxy and your doctors know what you want. It's right there. So the Getting Started Toolkit has those two documents. And that's great to start. If you just want to start there, that's terrific. Um, there's also a guide in the Getting Started Toolkit for how to talk to your doctors. What kind of questions should I be, what we should be, be talking about? There's, a, there's a, a guide right there for you. It's a handy little discussion guide you can bring right into your doctor's office or have a telehealth phone call with. So the next three documents are in the next steps toolkit. Now the idea is once you do your healthcare proxy and your personal directive, that's great. You get them in your medical record, you give them to your agent, you keep a copy for yourself. And then as your healthcare progresses, things are gonna change and you may wanna add other documents. So the next three documents are in the next steps toolkit and that's a durable power of attorney, which is a legal document and that says you choose someone to make financial decisions for you, right? And that we, we recommend you do that with an attorney. You don't have to, but it's an important document. It, it, it says, if I get sick tomorrow, who's gonna, how do I get my care paid for? If I can't make these decisions, well, we're gonna appoint a person that you trust to be your financial decision maker. 
to actually, again, step up to be able to get you the care you want and reach into your bank accounts or to even just pay your bills. I think that's what you authorize that person to have certain powers. Um, where it's come in handy in, in the time of COVID is some people have had lengthy hospital stays. So their financial decision maker has the power to write the rent check, to, to really pay the mortgage bill, to keep your, your house going, um, and then to also pay for your care. So you want someone in charge of that. It's such a great feeling to, to make sure they keep your money safe and your property well maintained. That's what a, um, you do that in a durable power of attorney. And then the last two documents are medical orders, which we can talk more about, called um, uh, a comfort care do not resuscitate order. And we, we know that as a DNR, uh, but that's its official name. And then uh, something called a MOLST form, M-O-L-S-T. And it stands for Medical Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. And those are, those are two more documents you can put into your plan, but you must do those with your doctor. That's not something we can do ourselves. We need to actually talk to our physicians about those documents and then get them done. So both of those toolkits are right on the website and lots of information to tell you more about it. Yeah, let's talk about the, the, the moles too, Ellen. Um, actually, let, I ju let me just want to do one thing. So let's just, so you, you just went over some great information. So we talked about the healthcare proxy, the importance. So we have the, all these documents, and I do like that you said, you know, with the durable power. Um, do advise that, that you use an attorney for this. Uh, and again, one that's actually well-versed in elder law or advanced care, you know, planning uh, or estate planning, um, mm -hmm. you know, because there's really a lot of things that change with this too, aren't there? Um, you know, so it's good to stay on top of that. But these other documents, what do you do with, let's make sure people know, what do you do with the originals? You keep them. They're yours. Yep. That's right. thing, every document you're going to have, it belongs to you. Even if they're the medical document, you keep the original. Because why? You get to change them. You can change them every day if you want to. I know the doctors don't like when I say that. <laughs> but that's your right to say, yeah. you know what, I, I picked my agent. Um, and, and I'm beginning to see that that agent's not going to be the right one for me. You can change your mind. You, you just, you know, tear up your healthcare proxy and do a new one. Right. So I want people to understand they own these documents, not the hospitals, not the nursing facilities, but the person. Yep. Um, so that's the first thing. And I'm sorry, Mary, the question was... Yeah, so so they're going to keep the originals. Don't put them right. in a, a safe deposit box. Keep them in a fire safe box in your home or, or somewhere accessible. And, and make copies. You want to have copies of these. Yeah, and that people ask about that. Your copy is as valid as the original. So you can make as many copies as you want. So who do we want to give them to? Well, it's the people who you want to jump into action if decisions and your health with, have to make health or financial decisions. So you give them to your agents. You can give a copy absolutely to your primary care physician and say, please put this in my medical record. Because as much as we have the right to say what we want for care, we have to talk to our doctors to say, can you get me that care? So put my documents in my medical record and let's keep talking. My, my uh, health is going to change. I don't have the same health I had. I had, had a had 25. 
you know, we age, things change. And so our decisions may change with them. Absolutely. So the other thing is that we didn't mention too, is with a healthcare proxy, you should always have an alternate. Yeah. Uh, and I worry about this because I have seen many times over my career where people did not indicate or put an alternate on uh, and then the person who they appointed as their primary or principal agent predeceased them or weren't capable for some reason whether they were sick or are unreachable or what have you so that's an important piece as well very important so what on the form on the healthcare proxy the unknown choices proxy you'll see that it'll say pick your agent so that's your first person that's the person who's going to make decisions and if that agent what the law says is not able to serve or just doesn't want to or can't do it anymore, then your, your second person, your alternate, steps right up and takes the role of a healthcare agent. Now, that, that second person doesn't have any power to make decisions unless the primary agent can't serve anymore. But as you say, um, it can be as simple as uh, we had a, a woman in, in the hospital the other day whose daughter was her healthcare agent. So the hospital had the healthcare proxy on file. They couldn't speak to the patient anymore. She was just not able to, she was really sick, couldn't speak to them. So they looked at her healthcare proxy. They called her daughter, who was her first healthcare agent. Her daughter simply didn't answer the phone. She just wasn't available for an hour and the hospital needed to talk to someone. So they immediately look at the healthcare proxy and they see if someone's listed as the healthcare alternate. And they called that person. And that happened to be another daughter who was able to say, great, you know, let's take care of mom and I'm gonna call my other sister um, so that she can get back in the loop here. So sometimes the alternate just helps you get to the agent. Right. So it's good to have two. Yep. But I do want to say, Mary, that sometimes people say, look, it's hard enough to choose one person. I know. It's, it's going to be yeah. impossible to find two. Right. And that's okay. The, right. You can still do a proxy without having an alternate. Yes, but absolutely. If you can, to do it. That's right. Now, um, so let's talk to about, uh, let's go back to, well, let's just say this too before we get, kind of go on to the moles. So here we are in COVID. Where we, where this probably we're doing a lot telehealth wise right now, so this is presenting some concern for people, right? Uh, yeah. Who in terms of and so, but this is a time too that you can call your physician, you can call your provider to have these discussions with them. Yes, it's a great point. You know, telehealth, which means basically we can't see our doctors in person at this point in time. That may change in the coming weeks, but at this moment, it's not easy to do. Telehealth has been this wonderful savior where you can call your doctor on the phone and they can call you and you can get care and medicines and anything that you need. So it is a great moment to also say, do you have my healthcare proxy in my record? Let's say you did one. Check if it's there. Ask your doctor to check if it's up to date and valid. Are the phone numbers right? You know, we change our phone numbers so often so that we're making sure the doctor sees your healthcare proxy and can call you at the same time. And if you haven't done one, this is a great time to say, um, you know, can we talk about this? Even if you prefer to talk to your physician and say, I'm gonna fill out this healthcare proxy and I'm gonna send it to you. Can I mail it to you? 
um, uh, that's a, it, it's great to have conversations about your health and then to do the documents too. Absolutely. And I know right now, again, there's some complications around um, it being signed because yeah. a, a valid healthcare proxy has to be witnessed by two people. It's a little tough in the era of social distancing and staying yes. at home to find two witnesses. Um, we've been asking the state to think about lifting some of those requirements or doing it on telehealth. Um, but I think what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks in, in Massachusetts uh, in any way is that those, it's going to be a little easier to put social distance and have two witnesses. So we had a, a, a gentleman gather his uh, two friends from the local council on aging and they sat in the park and different park benches <laughs> uh -huh. and they were all able and the, and the healthcare proxy stayed on the bench and then he signed it and then his two friends one at a time came over and signed it. So Excellent. it's possible to do. Yeah, okay, it's very just, good. It's harder. But yeah, it's harder, but it has, it's, it's important that it be done. So let's go over now. If, if, and it, was there anything else that you want to add in there around what we talked about? Because that no, you no, really gave a great overview yeah. there. Thanks. Let's talk about MOLST. Um, yeah, this is an important document because so now that we've talked about those advanced directives, now we're talking about a MOLST form, which is a medical order form, actionable medical order form. So That's can right. you talk about this a bit? Sure. So I'm going to frame it for you again. I'm going to go back to those five documents. Okay. Yeah. So what we're saying, everybody who's 18 and above can do their own healthcare proxy. They can do their own personal directive. That's, that's a great way to start your plan, your own healthcare plan. And then you can add the durable power of attorney to that plan as you go by seeing a, an attorney or doing it yourself. And then the last two documents now is what we want to focus on. These are called, these are medical orders that you must do with your physician. And the only time you do a MOLST or, or a comfort care do not resuscitate order is when you're in a place where you have a serious illness. Now, how it's being defined in the state is that if a serious illness can be a life-limiting illness, where we know that at some point this illness is likely going to, to be the, the, the illness that um, you have at the end of your life. Now, my father had a serious illness, and he was diagnosed um, with uh, COPD, with uh, you know, breathing issues and some heart ailments. But they did that at a point where he actually didn't pass for another five years. He had a great time for five years of his life. Um, but he, he went to his doctor when he was first diagnosed, when they said, look, you've had this breathing issue for a long time, but now we've reached a point where we're going to consider it a serious or life-limiting illness. And what that says to the doctors and to the patient is, Let's talk about treatments right now to give you the best quality of life you're going to have, no matter how long that is, whether it's six months or whether it's years or, or, you know, or with COVID, it's been a very quick transition for people, unfortunately, who've had a very serious infection um, who, who die in a few days. So right. it's been very hard, as you all know, and very sad about this. But again, um, what are what our doctors are aware of is, uh, and our nurses, is they've been calling folks, high-risk folks on the phone, saying, what's gonna happen if you get COVID at this point? How is it gonna affect the serious illness? Let's talk about that, and then let's write down your decisions in a most form. So that is called Medical Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment, and it's a very simple form 
-hmm. where the, that your clinician will first talk to you about what is the illness you have, here's the treatment we have for you, here are the risks and the benefits of those treatments. What do you want to do? Tell us what you want to do. Would you, would you like us if you're, um, there are three decisions on that most form. Would you like me to talk about those, Mary? Sure, please. Yeah, please. Okay. Really simple. And again, this is at the point of your life where no other treatment is going to help. And I think that's an important distinction. Doctors like to treat, you know, and they will treat you as long as they can. But we want people to have the control, patients to say, you know what, I, I've lived a wonderful life. And at the point where you can't help me anymore, I may want to die naturally. That's a choice you have. Or to say to your doctor, if we're at that point, give me everything you got to keep me alive. That's your choice. And that's the choice that goes on the most form. So there are three simple decisions. Um, one is about resuscitation of your heart and breathing. So, and this is what the decision is. If your heart and breathing stop, at, it, they actually have to stop. Would you like us to try to attempt to resuscitate you, to restart your heart, to restart your breathing? And that's a decision that's on the most one. So again, we don't just want to make that decision. We want to talk to our right. physicians about what does that really mean for me and my illness? What's going to happen if, I, if you're able to bring me back? What's that going to mean? Am I going to be in the ICU for days? Will I never be able to get better? Those are decisions for you. So the first decision is the, the do not resuscitate or resuscitate me. The second decision on the most form is, uh, is about breathing. If I can't breathe on my own any longer, do I want to have a mechanical breathing uh, or like a, with a um, ventilation to be able to, to breathe? And again, we don't want to just make that decision as lay people. We want to talk to our doctors about what does that mean for me and my, my, my illness right now? So you make that decision. The third decision on the form is if I'm, for instance, at home or in a nursing facility, wherever I reside, and I start to fail, I start to die naturally, um, do I want to be transferred to a hospital? Now, typically, um, we need to transfer people if they're in pain or if they're not comfortable. Um, and then if EMTs come to your house or your residence, you know, there's only so much they can do. So they want to make sure everybody's comfortable and not in pain. So they're likely going to transfer you to a hospital to, to help you be more comfortable. But it is your choice to talk about that with your doctor and make those your wishes known on the most form. What do you want to do? Those are the three big decisions. Yep. But we do and that as with our physician. We don't do that alone. That's right. And that's the key to it. The, the form is intended to have a conversation with right. your physician, physician assistant, nurse practitioner. And that's how it's designed. Not to have the form, take it home, fill it out and bring it back. Just have that conversation. These are important ones. Well, Ellen, we just gave a lot of information <laughs> in a very <laughs> short period of time. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you feel, I know we have to wrap up, but is there anything else that you feel like we missed that you, you want to say before we, we do wrap up? No, I, I think we want to say that everything we talked about today is broken down and much easier said um, on the Honoring Choices website, lots of yeah. sheets for you to download. It's on the Care Dimensions website as well to download those tools. So you can stay, take it one step at a time. And I think that first step, 
very simply, is the healthcare proxy. Absolutely. Well, Lynn always likes to, to end with a quote, and, and I'm going to do that today, Ellen. And, and one of my, uh, my favorite uh, professionals, Ira Bayok, who I just uh, think the world of, uh, but Ira Bayok is a physician, and he said, I have an advanced directive, not because I have a serious illness, but because I have a family. And again, you know, we do this for ourselves and we do it for the people that we love. Uh, family to me is anybody who loves and supports us. So again, it's a, I think these are important decisions to make uh, for many different reasons. So yes, I want to well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Living Forever, Not an Option with Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. To learn more about Care Dimensions, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or check out our podcast website at www.caredimensions.org backslash podcast. We would love to hear from you with questions or comments. Please feel free to email us at podcast at caredimensions.org and of course you can always call our office at any time. The number is 888 283-1722.